Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach. I'm so excited for you to hear a new episode of our podcast. Today you're going to hear from Coach Derek Jones, who's currently the associate head coach, co-defensive coordinator for the Texas Tech Red Raider football program, just joining Texas Tech this year after a long time at Duke University. Just an incredible young man, incredible leader with a passion for investing in others and encouraging others. He's also a husband and a dad. I can't wait for you to hear from him, so let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Coach. Well, I appreciate you having me on. You bet. So I always like to start these off with some background information. So if you don't mind, just give the listeners a little bit of um, background of who you are, um, where you grew up, your family growing up, and then a little bit about your family today. Okay. Yes. Uh, I'm from a small town in South Carolina, um, Woodruff, and it's a double A high school. I played there for a a legendary high school coach, um, the late Willie Barner. And um, after playing high school football, I was recruited uh, to the University of Mississippi where I played there under Billy Brewer, Jolie Dunn, and Coach Tommy Tuberville. I had three head coaches in college. But, you know, growing up, I was just a kid that um, really aspired to play college football. I had a cousin by the name of Tony Rice who played at Notre Dame, and he kind of paved the way of giving a lot of us young people in that town something to strive for. And that was my mission. That was my goal. And um, went to Mississippi. And upon being at the Mississippi, I met my wife, uh, Nikita Jones, who will be married 20 years this year. And along my coaching journey, um, I've had several stops and she's been there, you know, throughout the entire way with me. Um, I have an older daughter who lives in South Carolina uh, with two grandchildren. And my wife and I have two daughters that's here in the house with us. One is actually a sophomore at Liberty University, but she's here in the house with us now, naturally because of the pandemic. So, you know, um, growing up in South Carolina, in, in, in the South, did you grow up um, in a family of faith? And then at what point did you make that personal relationship with Jesus? Yes. Uh, you know, my mother and father um, have always had my brother and I, you know, in the church and just where I'm from, it's been, you know, just kind of a way of life. And, and later on in my life, my mother and my father actually both became ministers. So, you know, just being around it and growing up around it all your life, you just know that's the way of life and that's the way to be. So it made it, you know, kind of easy. So I think as far as, you know, me, myself personally, I think it just comes with maturity. I think, you know, some things about, you know, Jesus. I know you know some things about the Bible, but as you grow, you become more in tune to it. And probably more than anything, just seeing the way that, you know, I've been blessed um, and how things have happened for me, you know, despite maybe me not being worthy of it. Mm. So, and we'll talk a little bit about faith um, a little bit um, as we go through the conversation. I'm going to talk um, about your playing and, and coaching for a minute. You mentioned being from a small town in South Carolina, playing football at University of Mississippi. So how does a guy from 2A school in South Carolina end up in uh, University of Mississippi? Well, the year I came out of high school, um, there was a, prospect by the name of Stephen Davis who played at Auburn um, eventually and he was the number one recruit in the country so because he was the number one recruit in the country people from all across the country came into Spartanburg Spartanburg County areas to recruit him and because they were coming in to see him you know they wanted to maximize their days so I think it got a lot of us in that area a lot of attention from schools that don't normally recruit that way and you know University of Mississippi came um 
down to the school. It was Coach Brewer, Coach Dunn, and Coach Ken Matosh um, at the time who had the area and visited with me. And um, they liked me. Um, they liked what they saw. And they invited me to come down on an official visit. And I went down on an official visit. And, you know, I just really felt like, you know, that was the place for me. I mean, they actually didn't recruit me very long. It was a very short courtship. But that place felt more like home than any other place I had been to. So that's kind of how it happened for me. That's awesome. Then you you obviously get into coaching. So what point did you feel that that call or tug into the coaching profession? You know, actually, I never felt the tug into the coaching profession. Uh, coaching was, I would say, probably appointed to me more than anything else. Mm. You know, um, after finishing up playing college ball, I got into camp with the New York Giants. I got released from the Giants and I signed a contract with the Toronto Argonauts of the CFL. And uh, after leaving the CFL, I actually played about half a season of arena football in Nashville. Well, that next year, my plan was to go back to the CFL. And I was back at Ole Miss uh, working out and training. And I went into the locker room um, and then went into the weight room. And I saw Coach Tuberville. Uh, Ironically, the night before, I had gotten a call from my agent telling me that the Dallas Cowboys wanted to bring me out I guess for whatever it is, a tryout or maybe bring me out for OTAs or whatever, but they were bringing me out to see if they wanted to sign me. And, you know, I was a little bit excited about it. And Coach Turberville had a relationship with uh, Larry Lacewell, who was um, one of the front office people at the time for the Cowboys. And, you know, I didn't really know how things worked, just being naive. I went up to Coach Turberville and I kind of asked him, told him what was going on, and I kind of asked him if he'd call out there and put in a word for me. And I remember like yesterday, he was on the treadmill and he just hit the button on the treadmill and stopped and looked at me. He said, look, you need to quit chasing that dream. He said, "Um, this is what happens when they do that. They bring you out there. Uh, He said, they'll keep you there for, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever. But most of the time, it's just to be able to get them through practice or whatever. He said, I think you need to consider coaching. He said, I've got a graduate assistant job that uh, you can have coming up next semester, if you're interested, he said, you were always a good captain for us. He said, you were always a good leader and you've got great communication skills. And he said, there is a rarity of people like you in the profession. He said, you know, I'm not going to discourage you from doing what you want to do. He said, but I guarantee you, if you take this job 10 years from now, you'll thank me for it. Well, mm-hmm. actually, naturally, I was a little bit dejected when he told me that because I was like, are you going to tell me I'm not good enough? I'm the best guy you had or whatever. But, you know, just completely naive about life. And I'm a five nine guy. And he understood that. He understood that's not exactly what the NFL is looking for at corner. And I was a good player in college, but I wasn't a great player. You know, now that I'm looking back at it um, from a coach's eyes, I can see exactly what he was saying. And You know, I, I went and took a few hours to think about it. And uh, he had told me to come back and see him the next day and let him know. And um, I went back and told him, you know, that I think I wanted to take that job. And, you know, he left actually after that and went to Auburn to become the head coach. And in the transition, I was just kind of there waiting. But luckily for me, I wasn't far removed from University of Mississippi. And I had a good name there, naturally athletic director. Um, At the time, Pete Boone knew me very well. So it was an easy transition. And upon them hiring Coach Cutcliffe, they made a suggestion to him that he consider me. And, of course, he hired me on. And the rest of my coaching career is history. That's all. That's awesome. What a, what an incredible story. Um, where all have you coached? Well, my first full-time job after leaving the University of Mississippi as a graduate assistant was at Murray State. 
I spent five years at Murray State University under Joe Panazio. I left there to go coach at Middle Tennessee State. I was there for a year. Uh, We were let go as a staff. I landed um, at the University of Tulsa under Steve Craigthorpe. Uh, We had a really good year. He got the head coaching job at the University of Louisville and was only able to take three of our assistants. As a matter of fact, uh, Coach Matt Wells, who I work for now, and Coach Keith Patterson, who I work alongside, were members on that staff at Tulsa with me. Um, After that, I went to Memphis to play it, uh, to coach with Coach Tommy West, who had recruited me out of high school, and I had a long relationship with him. And then the very following year, Coach Cutcliffe got the job at Duke in 2008, and I was at Duke until um, a few months ago. That's awesome. So I need to ask you, um, you know, you're a pretty popular guy, if you will, on social media. Um, I know that's how we came across each other, and a lot of that is, you know, just – Encouraging quotes, if you will. So um, explain, I'm going to ask you about two things. In your Twitter name, there's Cheetah. So explain, <laughs> explain the Cheetah. Well, Cheetah has been a concept that I've used for many years um, in coaching. And what Cheetah means is, um, say, for example, you know, you're covering a guy and you lose track of him, find the near hip and close to it. And, you know, as a young kid, I was always fascinated with cats. You know, a lot of kids watched cartoons, but I was more so in the National Geographic, you know, which is Animal Planet now. And I still am. You know, I watch them on my um, telephone all the time. But, you know, I thought the characteristics of a cheetah uh, are very, very similar to the characteristics of a defensive back. You know, fast, elite, great vision, instincts, change of direction skills. You know, we're not the biggest cats or anything like that, but, you know, it's a skill set. And Coach Cutcliffe was really big on us, you know, using one-word phrases in coaching so that you don't have to give dissertations. So that's where Cheetah really came into play because it means a lot of different things on the football field. Mm. And coaches at other positions can actually use it too. You know, you can use it in tackling, you can use it in coverage, uh, you can use it in pursuit, a lot of different angles. And that's kind of where it came from. And upon getting to Duke, you know, um, Duke had won 10 games in the, the last eight years when we got there. And there was nobody playing in the NFL other than a long snap playing for the Bears. So from a secondary perspective, we didn't have a whole lot to, you know, use it in recruiting. So, you know, I wanted to try to come up with something to uh, bring an identity, you know, along with the kids that I was trying to recruit, in addition to trying to give the guys that were at Duke that hadn't had a lot of success, something that they could be a part of. So I pulled out my phone and um, typed in a pack of cheetahs just to see what it was called. Hmm. And a pack of cheetahs is called a coalition. So that's kind of how the coalition was born. So that's kind of the history of how that came about. And, you know, as we started to gain a little bit of momentum at Duke and started to get some guys that, you know, were getting all conference honors, all American honors, and some of the guys that went on to play in the NFL, it really picked up legs. And so, you know, with the popularity of Twitter, you know, just tagging it on, it just kind of became what I'm known for. So I've, I guess I've embraced it as well. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and then you're also an author of uh, Always Play to Win. You know, every tweet I think I see, you got hashtag AP2W. So talk about that a little bit. Well, Always Play to Win has always been my motto. And I think it's a perfect description of my personality. 
You know, I think anything in life, you try to find the positive and the negative. And I think anything in life, you've always got to be thinking ahead. And I've always tried to live like that. I've always tried to think like that. And um, it kind of became, you know, a hashtag for what I wanted to do. And, you know, um, on Facebook many years ago, I started waking up in the morning just trying to put up a quote um, that I thought might help somebody through the day. And it was something that may have been related to something that had happened to me, something I'd seen or just something I thought of. But, you know, each and every day I would do that. And, you know, people would inbox me and respond to me about how much these things helped them. And over a period of time, I just started to do it and it started to accumulate. And I would always hashtag AP2W. So my thought process really was if you just go hit AP2W, you could get them all at once. That was really the only reason I do it. I did it. I wasn't thinking about it at the time writing a book or definitely not becoming as big as become at this point in time. But after a while, you know, of accumulating those things, I was approached by one of my high school classmates about putting all those things into a book. And at the time I didn't understand writing a book and I didn't think I had time to write a book, but she explained to me that I didn't have to do anything other than give her permission to do it. And she kind of got everything and put it together. And that's kind of how, you know, AP2W was born. And what we were able to do was take AP2W and make it into an LLC company. And what we've been able to do um, with all the proceeds from the books and, you know, my speaking engagements, we've been able to give all of that money um, back to charity. I think we've given six scholarships to young kids back in our hometown. We've been able to help out some underprivileged people. We've been able to help out a high school classmate of mine in particular that was suffering from both breast and throat cancer financially. So it's really been able to do a lot of things that, I didn't necessarily have to dig in my pocket to do. And I think that was just clearly, you know, the Lord using me in that way to be able to do that. And, you know, one of the things about writing a book, you know, you'll make decent money off of writing a book, but really where the money comes into play is off of the speaking engagements. And I've been able to do some of those, but naturally with the demands of my profession, I'm not able to do uh, probably about 80% of the ones that I'm approached about. But I, that's something that, you know, once coaching's over with for me, that I'll be able to transition into. But it's always easy to go do one or two of them when I do have time to be able to put some money back in that account because you never know what's going to come up um, that you can help somebody out with. So I think it all was born as a blessing. I think it's all, you know, just a vision from God. That's awesome. I mean, what an incredible testimony to using the platform that God's given you for more than football. Yeah, I mean, it's been really good. And I think all of us have uh, multiple talents. And I think all of us have things that, you know, people, you know, can use and benefit from. And one of the things that social media allows you to do is to take some of the things that maybe a minimal amount of people would hear or benefit from and reach tons of people, you know, just mm-hmm. by hitting post. And that's kind of how I've been able to use social media, you know, from a recruiting standpoint from a marketing standpoint but more than anything just trying to continue to put those encouraging inspirational quotes up that may just help somebody that wouldn't have never otherwise met me that's awesome so you talked about um being at duke until a few months ago so now you're um starting at texas tech so what was the draw if i can ask um after being at duke for for 12 seasons to to move to lubbock texas You know, I think probably more than anything, I would describe it as um, timing and a calling for me. Mm. Um, You know, Matt Wells is a really good friend of mine. Uh, Coach Keith Patterson is a really good friend of mine. Um, But, you know, if you had asked me 
back in January around the national convention time, if I thought I would be going to Texas Tech, I would have told you you're crazy. You know, I wasn't planning on going anywhere. But I think the thing that Coach Wells was able to do was to show me and sell me on a role that he wanted me for more so than a title or coaching position. And I think there was a balance between he and I that he wanted, you know, to add to his program. And he saw where, you know, that program in particular uh, could benefit me. And I think it has. I mean, when I look at it, um, I I didn't even go to Lubbock um, to visit before I accepted the job. I actually met them in Dallas in an airport. And naturally, I wasn't going to make a decision to go to Texas Tech because of facilities or because of location Mm -hmm. or anything like that, because there was not enough time to even investigate. I didn't know anything about anybody on the roster. And it was purely because of my relationships with uh, Coach Wells and Coach Patterson. He did a really good job of recruiting me. You know, I will say that. But more than anything, I just started to think back on little things. You know, when Coach Wells was uh, at Utah State as the head coach, he reached out to me uh, shortly after my book came out. And he's like, how can I order a pretty good lump sum of these books? And I think he might have ordered 33 of the books for you know, members of his staff there at Utah State. And we actually used uh, the picture that he took uh, on our website. Keith Patterson, who at that time was the linebacker coach, defensive coordinator at Arizona State, he ordered 15 of my books for the coaches on defense there um, and the players there. And ironically, all of the guys that are on the offensive staff right now at Texas Tech were on that Utah State staff, and all of those guys got my book. So it's just crazy, again, how God works. You know, we wouldn't have thought about that back then. And they were not buying my book in hopes of possibly hire me one day. Matter of fact, they were not even working together at the time. So it made the transition easy because I was making a decision based on people, not necessarily mm. a school. And I had a couple other offers on the table around about the same time that, you know, I wasn't considering because I knew for me to take a job. I wasn't going to sacrifice the things that I had at Duke, you know, being able to recruit good kids, being able to work uh, in a climate where I knew what I was getting, being able to work and study under a guy who, you know, made you better every day as a coach and a person. That's hard to give up to sacrifice for money or to sacrifice for, you know, wins or to sacrifice for, you know, whatever people try to sell to you in the process. But everything about Coach Wells matched everything that, you know, I wanted in somebody that I was going to work alongside and work up under. And, you know, for me, it's as simple as if I can't sell you in recruiting with passion, I'm not going to be as good as I can be at the job. So I've got to believe in that person. I've got to think highly of that person. I've got to like that person, you know, to be honest with you in that regard. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, is a choice that we have. And all of the boxes were checked, you know, for Coach Wells and, you know, when I looked at it and start thinking about it and talking it over with my wife, you know, everything just matched up. And I think what he's done in the very short time that um, I've been with him, he's used me uh, in the ways that he wanted to use me. And I think I've been a benefit to the program thus far. And I, I definitely know they've been a benefit to me. That's awesome. I love that. I love the, the just the aspect of relationships that it's not about money. It's not about a title. You know, the most important things, relationships. That's good stuff. So clearly your faith plays a big role in, in who you are and in, in coaching, but have you ever experienced any resistance to being a person of faith, whether it's from administration, coach, players? 
No, I don't think uh, I've ever had a personal experience of uh, experiencing resistance from it. I think um, oftentimes, you know, depending upon the situation that you're in, um, what people's tolerance level of it is, you mm-hmm. know, whether they send it in an email or whether it's an underline, you know, somewhere that the message is gotten to you. But a lot of it's just observation of people. You know, I think the most important thing for all of us is just to be who you are. And I think in this profession, you know, you have to be careful of walking the fine line because you just really don't know. You don't know what families are um, involved in what religious beliefs. You don't know what administrators may be or whatever. But I think if you are a walking example of what you perceive a godly person to be, that's as good as anything. You know, because I can read all the scriptures in the world and I can get out on the street and preach to people. But what they see me do, how they see me behave, how they see me act, how they see me as a husband, how they see me as a father, how they see me as a mentor. I think those are all the things that people are going to look at you and say, "Okay, Mm -hmm. I believe that's who he really is. So I think it's kind of hard to change who you are. And something about me is I'm probably never going to put myself in a position to where I can't be that. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the things that life gives us. It gives us choices, you know, and I would never want to put myself into a position, you know, with or around people where I had to hide who I am because I truly believe in life. If you have to pretend to be something that you're not, if you have to hide something that you are, there's no way to be passionate about what you mm-hmm. truly believe. That's good. Yeah. I mean, that's perfect. I love that because a lot of times, you know, so many people want to, just quote scripture, you know, use the head knowledge all day long. That's not going to get, that's not going to change anybody if you're not living it. No doubt about it. I mean, I I think, you know, when I look back at life, I'm a very honest person with myself about myself. And when I just look back at life and I look at the maturity process in my life and stages, you know, I think I've become more and more of what I aspire to be with time. You know, I think when you're young, you know, um, which you should be, but you're not willing to sacrifice all the other things that are fun, all the other things that are convenient in order to become that. But I think as we grow older, we let go of some things, you know, that aren't important to us anymore. Things lose luster and you start to focus more on the things that are important. You know, I think when I look at the pandemic uh, right now, just being able to sit at home, you know, with my wife and kids for now seven weeks consecutively, I can remember a time in my life if you told me I had to stay at home all day, every day for seven weeks consecutive, I'd have probably lost my mind. <laughs> just, just the thought of it because I was trying to be in something else, involved with something else. Whereas now at 45 years of age, I'm perfectly fine. I'm perfectly fine with waking up with my wife every day and talking to her and talking to her at night and talking to my kids because that's the man that I am now. You know, again, if somebody had tried to force that upon me at the age of 25, I probably would have been resistant to it. Mm-hmm. So how do you balance the demands of being a division one college coach with being a husband and a dad? Because I mean, clearly coaching is, is a very demanding profession. So how do you balance it with family? You know, I think it's uh, um, something you have to commit to. And I think you have to have a blueprint for it. And for me, fortunately, you know, I've always had a pretty good balance of being coach Jones, Derek and daddy. Um, And and that's very, very important because I firmly believe that the most important thing that I am in life is a husband and father. 
you know, I'm a coach by profession and I know that I have an influence on people, but I've got to be 100% committed to my wife and my kids in order for me to be the person that I'm going to be or the example that I need to be for the people that I'm coaching or the people that I'm working alongside. So for me, there's always been a balance. You know, I'm a pretty level-headed person. Um, I very rarely lose my composure. I don't wear a lot of things on my sleeve. I don't hold grudges. So, you know, again, I go back to my personality. My personality allows me, you know, to be that person. You know, I'm 100% committed to no matter what happened in my workday, no matter what the score of a game, no matter how bad my guys may have played, no matter how bad a head coach may have come down on me about something involving one of my players, I'm just not going to bring that home. You know, when I hit the garage door open and when I come into a house, I'm daddy at that point in time. And I'm Derek. I'm not Coach Jones. And I do a really good job of balancing how much time I'm going to spend in my household on the phone talking to recruits where my family haven't seen me all day. You know, I think if you walk in the house on the phone talking to a recruit and your kids wave at you and you're on the phone for the next three hours when they hadn't seen you all day and it's time for them to go to bed, you're not being who you're supposed to be. And, you know, I've proven that you can get it done doing that. You know, there has to be a balance between your job and your responsibilities of life. Mm, yeah. Amen. Well, there's, you know, that's true for any professional, coaching or not. That's, that's an incredible, um, um, encouragement and, and word to, to all guys out there that, um, our work is not who we are. So this next one is, um, talking about the role of sports in our culture. Clearly, um, sports plays a unique role in kind of bringing people together. We live in a divided culture, um, not to get into politics, but, you know, culture is very divided, whether it is politics, religion, socioeconomics, race, you name it. There's so many things that divide us. So in your experience, both as a player and a coach, how have you seen football, in your case, tear down those walls of division? You know, I think um, anytime you can bring a lot of people together, you know, from different backgrounds, from different areas, and make them all work toward accomplishing a common goal, you eliminate a lot of other things. Even when I think back as far as, you know, playing football, you know, in Pop Warner um, growing up, it was the thing. You know, you're playing with people that you never saw, you've never had any contact with. You're playing with people that parents may have had no interaction with each other. You're playing with people that parents may not have allowed you to play, you know, with people of another race or something like that. But, you know, that's not the case in football. You know, you put on the same color jersey, you put on that helmet, and everybody is the same color. Everybody um, comes from the same background for that moment. And, you know, when you think about playing over the course of many, many years and being involved in it from a coaching perspective, it's hard not to take that on, you know, as who you are because you just are forced to interact with so many other people. You know, there's no room for prejudice of any kind, you know, when you're doing that. So I think it's a beautiful thing, you know, not just in football, but baseball, basketball, or any level of sports that you can do that. Because I think a lot of people that haven't played sports, I haven't been a part of a sports team. I think a lot of people carry hatred. I think a lot of people carry bigotry and everything else with them for a long time, just because they haven't been forced into a position where they had to depend on somebody to help them. And it may go against, you know, how they were raised or what they were taught, you know, in their youth, if they um, are fortunate enough to be on the team. So I think there's definitely a benefit in that regard in being 
a member of a sports team. I've had this conversation with a lot of guys talking about this question. That to me, it's a beautiful picture of how God designed the church as a whole. You know, a common goal, loving God and loving others. But oftentimes, even inside the church, we get focused on secondary issues and, you know, and, and we start even seeing division within the body of Christ as well. So to me, what you just described is a beautiful picture of how God, you know, designs us all to live. Yeah. And I think even now, when you look at the structure of the pandemic and what it's done, it's just on a much broader scale. You know, there's so much hate. There's so much tension. There's so much politics involved in our daily lives in this entire world. Now, God has put something into place that has forced all of us to work together. You know, everybody has had to drop animosity. We've had to forget about, you know, countries that we didn't have great relationships with. And we've all had to communicate with one another to find out how we're fighting this thing, how we're dealing with this thing. So you have to put a lot of things on the back burner. And I think the underlying factor in that is just what you said. You know, God has taken the entire world and said, okay, this is how I'm going to force you to forget about secondary things Mm. and focus on what's most important. Well, that's good. So this next question is kind of for some advice. I think when we talked yesterday um, to talk about recording this, I mentioned a lot of our listeners are student athletes and coaches. So I was going to ask you for some advice for that coach that may be listening that um, understands the platform they have, but wants to, use it to be a little more bold with their faith. So how would you encourage them to, to use the platform that they have? You know, naturally for me, the first thing I would suggest with, you know, social media, social media allows you to have a voice to a lot of people that you otherwise wouldn't come in contact with. And again, I think be yourself, be who you are. You know, you don't necessarily have to go, you know, putting up scriptures from the Bible on social media. You don't necessarily have to, you know, put videos of you actually giving a sermon, you know, just say positive, encouraging things. When you think about what a God-fearing person or godly man or godly woman is, you think about, you know, being polite. You think about being caring. You think about putting others before you and all the things that you know that are in the Bible that you try to mimic or try to be an example of, just be that for other people to see. You have no idea, you know, how many people are watching, you know, one of my favorite quotes in my book is very simple. And it says, everything you do in life is an interview because you never know who's watching or what they're looking for. And again, I try to live like that. You know, I try to be the person that's not perfect because I think it's important that you don't try to come off as a person of perfection because people can't relate to perfect people because none of us are that. So I think when you can be open about your flaws, I think when you can talk about your mistakes, I think when you can talk about things that you've learned from in life that other people may have known that you've experienced or done, I think it allows people to relate to you. You know, I'm very open about mistakes that I've made, whether it be on social media or whether I'm talking to a group, giving a speech or whether I'm talking to my players, because I think when people realize that you've experienced something that they're faced with, they understand you a little bit better when you're trying to talk to them. Plus, there's a lot there's a lot to that, because. You know, in this social media world, you see um, most people point 
or post just the glamorous things, the the beautiful pictures, the positive quotes, which those are all good things. But then we get into this comparison mode and, you know, and, and then we start getting caught up in trying to be something that the God hasn't called us to be. So I, I think you're right on, you know, being who you are and, and admitting fault, admitting mistakes, because nobody wants to, like you said, nobody wants to be around somebody that thinks they're perfect. No, and nobody's going to believe you. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> amen. Because, yeah, you're right. No, it doesn't exist. You know, even in coaching, I think if you're a coach all the time that, you know, comes across as you know everything, then at some point in time, people stop listening to you. And, you That's know, right. you have to keep people around you and keep people in your circle who aren't afraid to approach you because you don't want to hear the truth, you know. So I think it's very important to walk that way every day. That's that's good. So a lot of people have a favorite scripture or life verse. So I was going to ask if you had one or maybe there's one that God's shown you recently you'd share to encourage us. Yeah, um, you know, I've got one. Um, Hebrews 3, 7 that, you know, uh, always resonates with me. And it reads, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You know, I think it's very important because it's just what we were talking about because it shows me who I need to be. You know, Mm -hmm. it shows me that I need to watch and follow people um, that I want to mimic. And I need to also be a person as a leader in a leadership Mm. position that other people want to mimic. So I think it kind of defines my role, but at the same time, it defines who I need to be to become a better person and continue to keep walking and bettering myself on a daily basis. There's a lot of, a lot of truth into that about, because people are watching whether, whether we want to want to believe it or not. So being, you know, having that at the forefront is, is, is a great, a great reminder for sure. Um, last question. There's two words in sports that are, I mean, it's just all over the place, all in. Um, we don't, I mean, very, very easy to understand why, but it's also all in the Bible. You know, Jesus talks about, you know, being a follower of his, you have to be all in, be selfless, pick up your cross, deny yourself. So what does that look like from a practical sense on a daily basis for you to be all in and, in your walk with Christ? I mean, I think it's a simple word, commitment. Mm. And I think it's, um, you have to commit to be in that. And with commitment comes sacrifice. And I think on a daily basis, I don't care, you know, how close to perfection you think you are. There are things every day that you have to give up to be exactly what Christ wants us to be. And when you're committed to anything, you know, you have to give up things, you know, just being as good as you can be in sports, you have to eat right. You have to sleep right. So you may have to sacrifice a lot of the things that you want to do to do the things that you need to do. And I think when you cross that over into life, it's the same thing. You have to get rid of a lot of the things that you may want to do and focus more on the things that you need to do to be an example of what God wants you to be. Well, that's good. With commitment comes sacrifice. I tell my kids that all the time. Um, they look at me crazy sometimes, but then sometimes they do get it. But, you know, you talk about, you know, you know, they, every, every kid has goals. So you talk about sacrifice and that's when, you know, sometimes people don't want to hear that, but it's definitely true. You know, following Christ, it definitely takes sacrifices. And that's where I think a lot of people kind of back up a little bit because sacrifice can be uncomfortable, um, but commitment's worth it. 100%. Yes, sir. Hey, I appreciate um, your time uh, this afternoon to, share a little of your story and to encourage us. I know um, 
you encourage me daily um, with your social media posts. I've enjoyed hearing a little bit more of your background, your story. So I appreciate it. Well, I really appreciate you having me on and continue to do the things you're doing to make life a lot better for others as well. Thank you again to Coach Jones for taking time to share his story and encourage us. Um, as I look over my notes, there's there's a lot of things I wrote down, but there's just one thing I want to focus on as we wrap this up is that commitment comes with a sacrifice. And if we're going to be all in in our walk with Christ, it comes with a sacrifice. It's a full commitment to be a follower of Jesus, and that's a great sacrifice. And so it's it's every moment of every day of our life that we say that we're following Jesus it requires a sacrifice. And the sacrifice is different for you than it is for me. And I need to count the cost of what it is that I say I believe, what it is I'm after. I was encouraged by that and challenged by that. So I hope the same for you. Thank you for listening. I'd ask you to share this episode with somebody. I know there's somebody in your life that could use some encouragement. Um, And if you're not following Coach Jones on Twitter, go to the show notes and I'll put his Twitter uh, name on there. And I I would encourage you to to go follow him because every morning, I promise you, you'll be encouraged. He's one of the people I look look to every morning. He's just going to have a quick nugget of wisdom and encouragement. So I would encourage you to go do that. If you're not a subscriber to this podcast, I'd ask you to whatever podcast platform you're using right now that you would hit the subscribe button. There's many episodes prior to this one that will equally encourage you and challenge you in, in your walk with Christ. And I, so I'd ask you to, to do that. And there's many more episodes coming. Also, we'd love to hear from you. So you can do that through our website, allinsportsoutreach.org, or social media. Go to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, in the search bar, type in All In Sports Outreach. Find out who we are, why we do what we do. Send us a message. You'll also see opportunities to pray, serve, and give. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support and encouragement.